So welcome Craig Holmes to the Scottish Property Podcast. Thanks very much for joining us, mate. Hi, Stephen. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Thanks very much. So this is going to be a unique interview. We've been friends for a good number of years now, but I feel like you'd be a great guest to have on because people that are listening to the podcast, a lot of them are you know, are, are very new to property and getting started and looking for inspiration and people starting. Whereas you're at the opposite end. You're, you, And I'm going to say this in a more respectful manner and I'll put it in contents. You're like the, the OG of property and you're going the other way. You're looking at now the exit plan for your portfolio. Now, to put it in contents, Craig, Craig is not even 40 yet. But um, let, let, let tell the listeners about your um, your property journey and your background in property and what does your, your kind of portfolio look like right now? Yep, um, absolutely, no problem at all. So I started investing in uh, Vitalettes in November 2005. Um, essentially, it's a two-bedroom flat that I bought um, and I still own it today and rent that out. So with it starting in 2005, Obviously, the market was a whole different situation. The rules and regulations were completely different. Um, the way I got into property was I had a, a flat of my own that I was looking to maybe rent out. Um, and I thought, I seen that, I seen one of the, it was an advert for um, the Five Property Network, which Colin Miller, um, one of our friends that we both know, was, was running. So I thought I'd go along to this. You know, I was only 24 at the time, um, looking and listening to what these guys were doing that had much more experience from me. Um, my background is actually in accountancy, so I'm a qualified accountant, so I do have an understanding of numbers, and I can see, you know, each property, once you've paid X, Y, and Z, you might make, you know, two, three hundred pounds per property. And I thought, this is quite a good idea. So I decided to go for the first buy-to-let property, as I said, in November 2005, and I just built the portfolio from there. So started off in the good times and the boom times before the recession. So when I was buying properties, there were capital appreciation. Um, basically from day one, the, the recession came and obviously things changed significantly. I found that as a very lucrative stage um, because I had cash. So I was able to take advantage of the situation and capitalise on properties and really just buy them um, from the repossession stage and you were picking up some really good deals at that point. So did you start off in 2005 with the, the no money down strategies or did you put your own capital into the, these properties to, to build the portfolio? Uh, that back then I was putting my own cash in so mm. um, it was a lot more uh, slower process for, for accumulating a portfolio back then. Mm. I'm trying to even think if no money down was, was even an option back then. Um, certainly on the mortgages for buy to let back then you still had to put in I think it was 15%, so it was 85% loan to value, I think was the best deals you were getting on, on buy to let. So obviously residential was different, you know, we got 100% mortgages, 120% mortgages, but no, there, there, was some, um, there was some capital commitment required for, for that. And did the 2008 recession um, affect you negatively or, or the, the, your existing portfolio that you had, did it have to be sold? Did, did you lose any or did you, did you keep, keep the portfolio base the way you had it? I grew the portfolio significantly over that period, um, really significantly. So because I was in a position to buy, um, I could go to properties that were actually on the market. So it was on the portals, you know, when you're right moving Zoopla and I'd go and have a viewing. Um, some of them obviously were repossessions. Some of them were motivated sellers who were close to being repossessed and they were just looking for some type of exit, you know, offer something. And 
you know, the, the strategy I took with, with those people was I sit down, get an understanding of their needs and what they're actually looking for. So, <clears throat> excuse me, as opposed to me saying, I'll give you X, Y, and Z, I needed to get an understanding of the background and say, you know, the property is worth this amount, but how much is your mortgage? Because if they were negative equity, I couldn't help them. Um, because if they did a wee bit of uh, equity within the property, then I could certainly say, well, I can clear your mortgage and you can walk away with X, Y, and Z. Whereas if you're getting repossessed, you'll be getting nothing. So, you know, here's an option for you. And obviously, people took it because it was better than nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you seem to have uh, bought and held at the same time as Anne bought and sold back in 2009, 10, 11, when you were picking up repossessions very easily on the open market. Yeah, um, so I mean, was, you've you've always maintained and, and built that portfolio over over the years. And when was when did you stop building the portfolio? Then? The, the last property I bought was in uh, September two thousand and nineteen. So only two years ago um, is, is when I stopped buying. Um, and I will buy if there's a good opportunity. Um, you know, if someone came along and presented with with a deal that was, was very, very, very lucrative and there was money to be had and you can get the money back out and, you know, within the six months, I certainly take that opportunity, but I'm not actively buying anymore. Um, it's, it's certainly something looking now, it's all about reducing the debt. Your, uh, your last purchase in 2019, was that the one, the four-bed detached house you shared on the, my, my, my workshop a few months back? No, that was the, the one that I did in the four bedroom house was probably about seven years ago um, and that was obviously ah. a good one. Do you want me to run through the details? Yeah please because I, I like I like uh, you're you're very you're very meticulous with your due diligence and, and your thought process and I thought when you shared that that um, example of the one you added to your portfolio I thought it was a phenomenal asset to hold in your portfolio and you've done it you've done it in a, a manner that most people wouldn't have paid attention to because of the isn't the obvious low-hanging fruit? Isn't a, a two-bedroom, one-bedroom flat, X council house? It's a well. It's the, the house was only two years old, wasn't it? Uh, it was at that point. Yeah, I mean it was pretty new. So essentially, it's a four-bed, three-bathroom detached property. Um, and at the time, it was probably worth uh, on the open market around about the two hundred thousand mark. Um, now it went to repossession. Um, obviously, I'd seen it. I went and viewed it. And I picked up for £153,450, which was quite specific. Um, the reason I went that wee bit higher is, and people have picked this up over the years, is if you're going to buy a property, don't sit at a, a flat figure. You know, don't say 100000 Don't say 200000 You know, add the numbers on at the back. Because I have found sometimes you've maybe picked up a deal for two or £300 just because you've put that kicker on at the end of the deal. So... Yeah, bought that one for 153. Um, I needed to put new carpets in and decorate it, so that was about two grand capital expenditure. And then essentially from there, uh, rented it for 875, um, held it for six months, and then I was able to refinance that. And, and it was actually valued at 210,000. So I got the vast majority of my money out within that six month period. Um, but obviously, for the six-month period in between, when I was receiving that rent of eight seven five, there was no mortgage, so you know that was money straight out. And essentially, within six months, um, the, all my money was out within that property. So you know, and I still own it now. 
Um, the rent's now 950 on that particular property and the mortgage is just over £300, so it's net cash flow £600 per month. And obviously it's went up in capital value because it's a, yeah. a property that people want. Yeah, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal deal. Very desirable property. And like you say, you've had you've had rental growth and capital appreciation. So you've you've won on both sides there. Brilliant deal. Yeah, I think it's been it's only been vacant um over the period for maybe three weeks over the whole duration of ownership. So yeah, it, it's good. It's 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 close to local schools, primary schools, high schools, it's close to Fife Retail Park. Um so yeah, it picks it picks a lot of boxes. Brilliant. Let's say uh, let's diversify a little bit into um, more of your property background because you say you've got a you've got a great skill set as a as a lighting agent. I know that Nick will want to ask questions um, on this subject. You manage a couple of my properties as well, so I know I know I know you personally can personally vouch for for your area on this. How did uh, the lighting agency come about? So um, back in two thousand and ten, I was obviously very active in property. Um, good relationships with a lot of the state agents and letting agents and I still have that today even though I'm not buying as active I still do keep in touch with them so there was a letting agency that was actually um, it was for sale but it wasn't on the open market so the person that had been given the opportunity for to buy the property or sorry buy the letting agency was, would feel more comfortable if I came in as a joint owner slash co-director and because obviously seeing my expertise and thought you know that, that would be useful in the business so we bought that letting agency over in 2011 and for over the seven years of uh, ownership um, and directorship and um, we, we, we did well you know we, we grew it we, we, we got the significant number of properties um, and you know everything's going well so that, that's that's how that came about can i just introduce myself here <laughs> <laughs> introduce myself to the conversation and it's great to meet you craig and uh for those of you who are listening just now i've just had a bit of a drama so i had to dive out the initial 15 minutes of the podcast so uh yeah no interesting about the lighting agency uh craig because obviously i'm at the stage now where I'm, i've probably got to about i'm around about 100 property mark and i've got to decide whether to take that to the next level and scale up You've obviously been there. So at the moment, you're managing, what is it, like 80, 90 properties? And, yeah. and you made a decision to to stay at that level now. So what, what is your kind of... I'm interested to know, you know, why? That's absolutely no problem at all. So that the letting agency the, that I, I left there, there was a, a change in circumstances and I left that letting agency in um, August 2018. So, you know, maybe two and a half years ago. Um, I still own 50% of the agency, but I'm no longer a director. I'm no longer involved in the day-to-day running. So when I left there, I thought, you know, what, what's, what's, what we're going to do? Um, the clients that I was dealing with, I had a personal connection with and helped them build their portfolios over the years. I said to them, you know, I'm leaving. This is, this is, this is what's going on. Um, so I let them say, well, what are you going to do? And I says, but no, I've got my own portfolio. And it transpired that, a lot of them decided to come across with me. So they, I created a new agency, but I was quite specific on how I wanted this new agency to be. So um, working from home, um, no overheads, no staff, no establishment costs, and to you know, organically grow the agency. So it's not even a case that I don't really advertise my services at all. I'm not on Facebook, and the agency's not on Instagram or social media at all, albeit I am as, a, as an individual property investor, because that's what I see myself first and foremost. So 
yeah, you get to that stage now and you're thinking, if I'm going big, I need to run my numbers and those have to include extra establishment costs, salary costs, pension costs. So, you know, I would imagine if you're taking on a full-time letting assistant, as an example, you know, they're going to be wanting a, a salary around about 17, 18,000, roughly, and dependent on the area. Then, you know, you're going to have the employment costs, the pension contributions, and you may need additional office space. So if you're looking at extra 20 grand a year, how many properties do you have to take on to cover those costs? No, it's interesting. And do you feel that at that level, um, at that kind of smaller level, are you able to kind of pick and choose now if you are uh, taking on additional properties, then, you know, you know what it's like when you when you when you go to scale and you've got all those overheads. You pretty much need to to go big, you you know go big or bust basically. So you're taking on, you know, properties left, right, and center ones that might not you know tick all your criteria. Sort of if you were to, you know, own that property yourself and you would be a bit more selective about who you would put in and stuff like that. But you know, do you? Sorry, what I'm trying to ask is. Do you feel that you're taking on more quality properties now that you're smaller? Yeah, 100%. So for the eight your properties I manage, what in terms of the hell do you take on mine then? Because you're my friend. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, out of the, the eight your properties I manage, I only have 11 landlords. Okay. So I'm dealing with guys that over the years that I've helped build their portfolios as long as, I've, as the way I've been building mine. So that's how it came about. People had seen that I'd built this portfolio and thought, that's okay, I quite fancy a bit of that. And then, you know, how, how can I help them? So obviously I can help them through the letting agency. And it's not just property management. I'll go and have a look at properties for landlords yeah. and do a bit of due diligence. I mean, we bought one last week um, for a client who, um, this is a sixth property I bought for her. She's never seen any of them at all. You know, she relies, she obviously gets a home report we have a discussion, we put the offer in, and then, she, but she's never seen any of her properties, and um, because I, you know, she trusts that I can sort of do a reasonable job to manage them. Um, but you will find that when you go big and you do have overheads that won't go away, sometimes you'll say, I wouldn't really want to take this property on. Um, and it, it's the same, you know, with, with sometimes with tenants or indeed landlords, you're saying, yeah. you've got to have a, a workable relationship. Um, and, you know, you, because property is a people business, you have to try and get on with people to the best of your ability. Yeah, no, I think a really interesting point there because I think too many times as kind of, you know, business owners or entrepreneurs, whatever you want to call yourself, you do kind of get wrapped up in this whole thing where, like, you hear about these people scaling and you want to create this big machine and all the rest of it, but sometimes is it really worth the hassle? And I guess you've been through all that hassle and now you're thinking, I just want to kind of, a camera life almost, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely, 100%. It's, and that, you know, you get all these cliches and all these, these, these sayings, but you have to run the business. The business can't run you. And and that is so, so true. You know, we'll, we'll have challenging times in business and personal life. And I've been there when you're sort of getting up at two or three o'clock in the morning and you're wondering about the house and your mind's still ticking over and things like that. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's not a situation I want to go back to. And so, you know, that, 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 was, that was one of the reasons as well. Well, thanks very much for that. I've now abandoned my plans of scaling up the letting agency and I'm going to roll it back to about 50 properties and get rid of it. <laughs> anyway, 
<laughs> nah, it's uh, that's interesting seeing it from the other side. So you, you you've got a, you've got a great work life balance. Like Craig, Craig, you've created this kind of life through property that you want for yourself. Like you've you've not hit forty, have you? No, no you? I'm still thirty nine. Yeah, I may look forty. Aye, I'm sweet. still thirty nine. <laughs> <laughs> so you so you've not hit forty. You manage the portfolios of the properties of the, the landlords and the friends and the people you want to manage. You select your properties. Your portfolio is self-sufficient to a point. Now, your ho- your holiday home is is bought. Do you know what I mean? So was this, a, was this part of the overall plan from the from you know 24, 25 when you started out? Was this is a level I want the portfolio to be at? This is what the income I'm happy with. And once that, I'm going to step back and enjoy my life, basically. I would I would like to say the answer is yes, um, but the answer truthfully is 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 no. Um, so you know the situation I've now created for myself has has obviously accumulated. And when I started back in two thousand and five, I didn't really know how far I wanted to go. You know, I was still actually working in accountancy at the same time. I was a finance manager um, in, in Edinburgh, so I had a full time job plus building up the portfolio. And then I decided to go part time in accountancy. And then it was part-time property. This was all before the, the letting agency came on. But now, the, the situation now that I've created, I am very comfortable with it because um, it gives me flexibility. So as we sort of spoke about before we started recording, I'll get up in the morning and I'll, I'll start the letting agency work at half past six in the morning. So that's going through any repairs, instructing any gas safeties, going through the banking, arranging any viewings or any inquiries that have happened to come in. And by half past eight, the work for that particular day on the letting agency side of things is complete. Yes, there'll be things that will come in during the day and they must be dealt with and they are dealt with in a timely fashion. But I'd rather get the tasks that I know have to be done in that day out of the way. Normally, obviously we're in COVID, but then I take the kids to school at half past eight and then, you know, the day is essentially my own to either do personal stuff or more business-related stuff and other things. And the personal stuff's more like um, playing rounds of golf when we're not in COVID lockdown. Well, I'll send you pictures, so yeah, that, 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 could, that could be something to do with. But that, that's the situation. So once again, the, obviously we all have the technology and we've got the emails and the phone. So I could be in the golf course and I've got an email coming through and the tenant says, the heat is not working. No problem. I'll respond straight away, copy and paste the gas engineer and the gas engineer goes out. I don't have to be sitting in an office waiting on a reactive basis to get the, the information in. I can be anywhere in the world um, for the vast, vast majority. Obviously, it's different with check-ins and check-outs, but everything else can sort of be done remotely. I can see Stephen sitting there just now thinking, how much am I paying Craig here to manage my properties from the golf course? <laughs> no, it's not. I've seen issues have been getting dealt with from Kate Verdi when he's been on his holiday home quite, you know, there's an issue. It's resolved before I, you know, quick, quick. I am replying to emails before I've even noticed that it's already been fixed and dealt with. And I thought you're on holiday. I am on holiday. Like just, it's phenomenal the way systemizes business to work around his life and not the business around his life. So Aye, that's, that, that's the beauty. That's the beauty um, nowadays, isn't it, Craig? Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's for the the software and all that that we've got now. You can do it from wherever. That's it. And what I didn't want to do is I didn't, you know, when when the the, the landlords that have signed up with me and put faith in me. What I didn't want them to do is I'd say, oh, I'm away on holiday for three weeks. I don't tell people when I go on holiday because as far as I'm concerned, the business still has to run. And because I've made the decision not to have any staff, it's all down to me. So if it goes wrong, it's my fault. And if it goes well, then then that's down to me as well. So I take complete control and ownership, um, which was something obviously that I've learned out through the years is, 
you know, when delegation happens, um, sometimes it still comes back and falls at your door. So I'd rather just deal with it from the start. And as I said, if it goes wrong, it's, it's absolutely down to me and I have to be accountable. But if it goes well, then I'll go. Thank you. Absolutely. Could, uh, could we touch on something I wanted to chat to you about? Because um, I, I, I kind of am I'm aware you're in a more a different position from a lot of the guests we get on. The portfolio's established. You're no longer acquiring. You're in this more looking towards the exit stage. Can you talk us through, you know, what what the exits are for a portfolio and what what t- tips for what people should really be looking forward to when they start out? Okay. So where I am at the moment is I would like to get my portfolio down to loan to value fifty percent. Obviously, I've run the numbers and and that and that would work well for me. So. That's great having a plan, but how am I going to do it? So I'm no longer actively acquiring properties. So, you know, for the X amount I make per year on uh, my property portfolio, in the past, that money was then getting reinvested into BRRR or standard buy to lets. Um, so that money is now getting paid to actually the mortgage companies to pay that down. So I've got the loan to value in the portfolio just now sitting roughly about 58%. So um, I'm getting there. I'm certainly a lot closer um, than, than I was a couple of years ago because I'm just driving that capital down. So there's ways you can also get the, the loan to value down as well as paying the capital off. You know, you might choose to dispose of some properties. You might look at the portfolio and say, mm, this one's maybe not cash flowing as well as others, so I'll dispose of it. And one tip I would um, say to any investors who are going to start to dispose of properties if they're in their own particular name, is bear in mind you've got their capital gains allowance. So each person gets a capital gains allowance each year. I think it's 12300 but don't quote me on that. You know, I might be off, but I'm pretty sure it's 12300 per person. So a tip that you can do, and this was something I touched on with Stephen about a deal he was involved in, is if you've got a spouse or a partner, um, you can utilise their capital gains allowance as well. So let's just say you bought a property for 100 grand, it's now worth 125 grand. You're saying, well, I've got a 25 grand capital gain on that. So you can then transfer the deed of the property from my name into my name and my wife's name. So she's not involved in any of the business activities. So each year we can utilize both people's capital gains allowance. And that makes a big difference on your tax bill. Um, What I will say is if you're going to do that, and you're selling a property, you need to make the seller aware that that's your intentions because not all mortgage companies will uh, allow that. You know, they might turn around and say, well, you know, you've got to own the, you both have to own the property for a six month period. But I've not had any problems with it. And I sold the property in September and we did exactly the same thing. And that was a good tip for, for utilizing both spouses' allowances if the property is in one name. So that's a great tip, mate. Yeah. Um... Absolutely. See when you dispose of the properties, then do you take the the, the income that's came back in, or or the equity that's came back in? Do you then overpay that onto your mortgage to pay down the portfolio debt further? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I do. That's exactly and, what I do, hundred percent. Because if I left it in the bank, it'd burn a hole in the pocket, and then um, it would be to get spent on something that <laughs> that shouldn't be getting spent on. Really. So absolutely. As soon as the money comes in from the from the the surveyor or sorry, the solicitors. And then that gets paid off as well. Um, as and one is thing, it a case of most mortgage lenders will let you overpay 10% a year? Do you just divvy up between each, the ones you want to pay down effectively? 
Yeah, the way the way I get them. So because I was involved in property since two thousand five, I was quite fortunate that I had um, probably half my portfolios on tracker mortgages. So people may or may not know what the tracker mortgages are, but essentially these were mortgages that I don't think you can get anymore, and um, they're linked to the base rate. So I've got mortgages that um, are maybe 0.75 above base, 1% above base. So obviously base is 0.1. So you know my mortgage interest rates are 1.1 or, or there or thereabouts on maybe half the portfolio. So those those ones are not getting paid down. You know I want to retain those ones. It's more of the properties that I've had in the last five to seven years that I've got that have got higher interest rates. So those are the ones I spread it across first. Yeah, so that makes sense. We're paying down the kind of either bad debt or the more expensive debt, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Pay off, pay off the, the bigger debt first, and that makes a big difference. And um, there's one thing I wanted to say to Nick as well, or anyone that's actually got a trading company. So one thing I do is through my letting agency, um, I take minimum wage um, through the letting agency. I, t- I take, I think I take a roughly about eight thousand seven hundred a year as a salary. And the reason I do that is my buy-to-let portfolio can sustain what I need for the lifestyle. And so what I do is, Nick, I know in the past I've heard you speaking that you're not a fan of pensions. Um, And I wasn't a fan of pensions either, but I had a a meeting with with my financial advisor and we're talking about the the profit that was made in the letting agency. And obviously it's all subject to capital gain. There's a corporation tax at 19%. Now, what she did, is because I am an employee and I'm paid through PEYE, so a monthly salary, and she set up a pension scheme, an employer's pension scheme. So what I do is once a year, just before you know, when we're getting to the last couple of months of the year end, I know how much the uh, letting agency is going to make, and I make a significant contribution to a pension um, plan every year, and that's completely allowed and it's completely tax deductible. So therefore, when you're doing that, you're, you're sort of giving yourself another um, wealth creation stream when you do have um, pensionable age. Sounds good. I'm definitely going to have to speak to my accountant about that as well. Uh, anything to save a bit of tax. Eh? Well, we also yeah. did, I mean, I don't know if you listened to the interview we did with Mark Stokes, but he was talking about specialising in the SAS pensions as well. So that could be another avenue that I'm looking at as well. But yeah, no, good tip. And see, on the topic of uh, the exit strategies, um, I mean, personally, I've just got a very simple thing in my mind, and it's build 20 buy-to-let properties. And then as an exit strategy, if you like, my kind of end goal would be to to sell like half of them. So sell 10 and say, I'm 40 at the moment. So by the time I'm, say, 60 to 65, I would sell off 10 of those properties. And hopefully with the... Uh, the rise, this is assuming that property prices are going to rise over 20 years, which I'm pretty sure they will, and equity tied in, then I'm going to take that equity and pay off the loans on the on the remaining 10 I'll hold. So that would, in effect, uh, I'll be debt-free, mortgage-free with 10 properties. And that would be my kind of like uh, retirement income, if you like, if I ever do retire. I don't really like the thought of that, but... <laughs> Um, so that would be my kind of exit strategy. Could you pick any holes in that or any kind of, you know, would you think to yourself that's risky or what would, you, what would your thoughts be on that? So there's one thing to consider 
um, is when you do get to a certain age um, and you are retiring or going semi-retired or whatever, you have to think about what your actual asset classification is. So obviously I'm not a tax expert at all and all I'm going to be saying now about tax is just my own personal opinion. But, you know, with inheritance tax purposes, each person's got £325,000 allowance and that can transfer into a spouse. So, you know, you and your wife essentially has got 650 allowance based on current rates. And also with your own home, you've both got an additional 175,000 allowance for your own home. So that if you add all that, that's a million pound of assets between you and your wife that you can have before you're subject to IHT. Once again, this is at a very, very broad level. Um, so that was another reason I went into this pension contribution because I didn't know this because I wasn't involved in pensions, but your pension pot does not form part of your estate. So you know, I suppose you have maybe £2 million worth of property and through accumulating it, then you can say I'll have a million pounds worth of property or investment properties, including your own home, and a pension pot of a million. So you know that that's that's pension pot is about half of your net worth is completely removed from your estate. So it's really important to think about taking on assets that will be tax efficient um, during the period. Because if you pay off 10 mortgages and you've got 10 properties that are unencumbered with no mortgage, then they will all form part of your estate. And if it's over a million, then it's 40% based on current levels. So maybe to have a wee bit of debt on them, and then the money that you'll be paying off to get them to zero, don't pay it to zero, and invest that in other assets. So there is a pension for, or there is a SAS pension or commercial or ISAs, you know, you get 20,000 annual allowance on your ISAs, make sure you're utilising that because that's just different asset classification and it spreads a risk because, as we all know, property prices historically is the best investment. But if you get to the time, let's just say we reach a recession when you're coming up to 60 in it and you're going, oh no, I'm expecting, I'm hedging that property prices have went up and I want to retire now. And then if you're forced to keep working for that five years to the line of prices going up, that's quite risky having it all in one asset class. So maybe a bit of spread when we go on this. No, that's really good. And obviously we are just talking like amongst friends here. We're not offering any advice. And this is, we're not financial uh, planners or experts or anything like that. This is just our thoughts. We're just sharing our thoughts and it's just yep. a conversation. But this is really good because it's just made me think there again uh, about the risk involved and the, the liability as well. And I'm thinking if I go to pay, if I go to sell 10 properties like that as well, I'm going to be hit with the uh, uh, possible capital gains tax as well, something I never really thought about too. Well, that was one thing, because I know you had just a nip away there, Nick, that we sort of covered about capital gains. Yeah. So I didn't know, if, you maybe are aware of this, but essentially you get that 12, three elements, but you can, your wife will have the same. So you can split the, the property deeds before you sell a property and use your wife. So if your wife's name's not on them at the moment, and you want to sell a property, then just before completion, you can put her on the deeds or split the deeds into joint names so she utilises her allowance as well. That is allowed. And a lot of people don't know that rule, so you think, well, well I've only got an allowance of 12 free. If you've got a wife or a partner or a spouse, then you've got a, a double that allowance. But actually, now that I come to think about it, most of my investing's going through the limited company now as well, so that won't be subject to capital gains, I don't think. I think that's... It'll be, it'll be corporation tax. Corporation tax. So here's, here's something else that I don't know if you've considered. 
So it's in the limited company. I don't know if you're aware, but you can, if you want to, let's just say you do, which I presume you do, or most people do, want to pass something on to their kids. Now, obviously your kids are young, my kids are young as well. Um, at this stage, if your limited company investment property portfolio is in an infancy, you know, quite early on, then you can actually put the kids on the shareholders. And that makes a big difference because then that's removing them, you know, as opposed to you being a 100% shareholder and your wife or 50-50. If it's ultimately going to the kids, obviously speak to an accountant and a lawyer and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it may be worth considering putting kids as shareholders at this stage. I think you're definitely right. I've, I've mentioned, I've heard that mentioned quite a lot in the past. And if I got them on as shareholders, I'd definitely want them to get get some value out of them as well. So they'd be getting <laughs> some sort of jobs as well. <laughs> so I know Stephen takes wee Maya around his projects, but she's uh, you've told you've told us in the past that she's not that interested, Stephen. <laughs> I know um, I, I'm lining up for a job out because like, um, absolutely right. Like the stuff that Craig was touching on, I, I love all this stuff now. And I'm, I'm in the process of setting up my SaaS. And it's all about, you know, exit strategy planning and inheritance tax plan and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm loving that. And one of the things that I had a conversation with Brian Wright recently, and he alerted me to something else, which was which was very, very good. Another tax saving bit of advice was, uh, if Maya goes to university and you want to go and pay her digs and give her a, you know, an income, if you take out the money you've paid personally and paid corporation tax on it from your company, paid personal tax and taken out of your company, if you put her on as an employee of the company or a shareholder and give her the minimum salary, £8,000 without you know, national insurance and, and uh, tax contributions, you know that's she's getting that before corporation tax. So you don't have to pay corporation tax and then personal tax and to give it to her. She takes out the company before tax, before it's taxed twice. So I thought that was a really interesting thing as well. And like exactly what you said next, make them an employee of the company, make them work for their uh, their shareholding or their little income. Well, I think you do need to give them a legitimate job to make it um, make it legitimate. <laughs> this is an interesting chat because we you could tell we were getting to a certain point in our lives now that we're talking about exit strategies. So do you think as a 20-year-old, if you get involved in property, you'd be thinking about your exit strategies as well? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not, but I would certainly say, you know, now what I know, and this probably makes me sound old, if I knew now what I know back then, I would probably have um, done things a wee bit different. Obviously, I can't, you know, complain to where I am and I'm comfortable with my position, but, you know, there's maybe things I would have tweaked differently. Well, that's interesting. What what would you do differently then? Is there anything that springs to mind? Well, I think we've all got our um, pants pulled down, for want of a better phrase, with Section 24. So when I started investing in property, um, I remember it was Carol Bailey books I used to read. Because um, when I started, there was no property training of any significance. You know, there was none of this this whole thing, um, you know, coming and pay 10 grand for, for three days or whatever it happens to be. So it was always the strategy was, if you're buying, if you're buying an investment property, put it in your personal name. If you're doing a flip, put it in a limited company. So obviously that was the best advice at the time. So, you know, in hindsight, I would much prefer have more properties in my limited company than, than I do at the moment. But once again, that was the best strategy at the time. Yeah. Would you what? change them and put them all in a limited company? Um... Uh, potentially. So I have thought about this. So what I'm thinking is I might transfer six unencumbered properties into a limited company. And then what that does is obviously it saves paying the ADS based on current rules. But what also does it, it creates a massive director's loan. You know, essentially, let's just say the mm-hmm. profit is 100 grand each. I'm giving my company 
£600,000. And then I can draw that money back out of the limited company by reducing my director's loan. We know yes, absolutely. Tax, tax free. That's a huge thing. So yes, mm-hmm. answer the question, that is the plan. And there's a question that pops up quite a lot and it was asked on the group actually, I think just only last week and it was, um, you know, interest only versus capital uh, uh, sort of versus repayment mortgages. So what would you, uh, I mean, it's quite a, a wide sort of question because it really depends on circumstances and what your plan is and all that. But can we just talk about that a little bit? How you would yeah, totally. think about that one? So if you'd asked me this five years ago, the answer, the interest would be, the answer would be interest only, 100%, because the full, 11, or the full interest amount was tax deductible. But now I would suggest, no, I won't suggest that. What I would do if I was in their situation is I would look to pay down capital now. Because they've removed this interest allowance, that's significant. As an investor, you want to try and get unencumbered as much as possible because you are still paying this as a business expense. You are incurring interest as a business expense to your business. You know, it does affect your profit, but what it doesn't do is affect your tax. It gets added back. So anyone that's done their self-assessments would see getting the finance costs coming off and adding back, well, this year, an example, um, 75% getting added back, and next year it'll be 100% getting added back. So you're physically expending the money, but you're getting no benefit from a tax perspective to do so. So I would look to pay down. Um, that, that would be if you were like personal name, right? Like personal name. Personal name, right? So limited company is different. I, I just did my tax return. I've got three properties that I own in my personal name and I put it through my, my tax return there for 2019-20. And uh, I, I've got to say, I didn't notice much difference, to be honest, but I think it's because I was underneath the, uh, the higher rate tax bracket. So I was in the lower rate tax bracket. And I think just as a general rule of thumb, I'm talking really general here. And again, this is just chat, but they say that if you go into that higher rate tax bracket, then that's where it really starts affecting you you know, with the latest tax changes. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it, really, it, really, it really does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It definitely has a significant impact. Um, but it's all about being prepared and, and organised for it. So, you know, I transferred some properties already into a limited company. And as I said, I'll probably put six across in one go for the EDS purposes. From my own point of view, I, when somebody asks me that question about interest only or, you know, repayment, I just always think I like to run my property portfolio as, you know, a business and as a as a good cash flowing business. Do you know what I mean? So I'm just all about the bottom line. And that's why I always go interest only. Um, so, you know, it's just, again, it really depends. If you need the cash to live, like the cash flow, if you're needing it to live, then obviously that will have a huge uh, impact on your decision if you've got like another job where you're earning a decent salary then and you're investing in limited company then you know you might not need that kind of cash flow so that or, or it might be a couple of properties that you're buying just for later on in life it's just yeah it's a big question to answer yeah what? absolutely and that, I think that's why when people are starting off um, it's very very important to speak to the accountants, the lawyers, the financial advisors, and structure it correctly. Because if you structure your business incorrectly, whether it's profit investment or a trading business, it's difficult to do it retrospectively. So getting the plan and the exit plan right. So that's why we're talking about earlier is 
you need to know what you hope to achieve at the end. So how do I get there? That That's very, very important. You know, we can go in and say, I want to build 20, 20 properties in a portfolio, but what am I going to do when I reach that? So to have that exit strategy in mind right at the beginning, it allows the professional advisors to, to help you and guide you and structure it correctly from the start. Now that's good. And obviously, like like Craig said there, just uh, everybody who's listening to this, go and seek advice from the professionals. Don't just listen to us three waffling on here. No, definitely not. <laughs> Don't come back and, and, and see us when it's all gone pear-shaped. <laughs> so That's an interesting point, though, isn't it? and I always learn more from speaking to guys like Craig and guys in our mastermind group and stuff like that than I do from professionals because they necessarily won't, it's, you know, they won't tell you a tax-saving method you you come up with it because you've heard it through your network or through a podcast or something and you say oh can i save tax by doing that and they say yeah why did you not tell me that fucking before like i it's, it's quite difficult to get a professional that acts really in your best interest to save you god could potentially hundreds of thousands of pounds you can have to figure out this a lot of yourself and educate yourself and understand your your exit your goals how to reduce your your own your own tax your own tax strategy your own family's exit stuff and then then take it to the the professionals then to try and align it right, I suppose, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, I have to openly admit the, the pension one um, was absolutely brand new to me. That that was the financial advisor that suggested this. So fair play, you know, that was absolutely mm-hmm. a great idea. Um, and, and the accountants I use as well, they've, they've been pretty proactive in coming up with some ideas saying, you might want to consider this and this would be the implications of doing so. Obviously, it's my decision at the end of the day. I have to be fair, they have presented some really good ideas. And I thought, okay, and I would not have known about these otherwise. So, yeah. Did you go for a, a SIP or a SAS, Craig? No. Oh, no. For the, it's just an employer's pension scheme. Right. It's neither anything like that. It's, it's just a basic employer's pension scheme that, that the company can pay X amount into. So, that's mm-hmm. it. It does make a big difference because I've seen the forecast where this pension should go. Um, and it and it's 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 well worth it. Well, it was well worth for me to do it anyway for the amount that was getting put in. So yeah, it was definitely something that people may wish to consider and speak to the appropriate professional. I guess the the problem I've got with the professionals is right. Quite often, I mean, it all depends whether you find a really good one who's uh, you know got creative ideas and things that will help you know boost your business and drive you forward and all that. But the problem I found with some in the past is they often just give you like the very kind of safe advice. They don't seem to like be like, you know, as investors and that, like I'm into taking a little bit of risk, you know, I'm like, right, let's try something creative here. Or you hear something on a forum, you think, uh, you know, can that be done? And then you go to them and they're like, oh no, I've never heard of that being done. So sometimes they can kind of hold you back almost as well. I think that's where it's important to go to someone that specializes in your area. So, I mean, Brian Wright is a perfect example. He is absolutely spot on in terms of property tax. You know, you can go to a generic accountant and go, no, I don't really know about this. It has to be someone who is an expertise in the area you're operating. And then they should be able to give you the best advice and guidance. It's, it's so important. We spoke about that in an early podcast as well, as finding your right power team and the right people that can, that can guide you and go with you on this journey to help you grow. Yeah, I mean, the convincing solicitor that I work with is a convincing solicitor I've worked with since day one, 2005. Um, mortgage guy, I've been working with the, the mortgage guy for, I think, probably the last 10 years. 
So these people, you know, they, they are reactive, they will respond, they do pick up the phone. I think that's important as well, is they know that they'll get X amount of business from me. Um, I'm not hounding them, but certainly if I contact them, I would like them to respond. The same with landlords or tenants. With the letting agency, you know, the tenant's paying the rent, which essentially gives you the commission that the landlord is getting the landlord to pay. So you have to respond. It's a customer services situation. And that is hugely important in business. You know, people, oh, I'm too busy to get in touch. Well, if you don't get in touch with your customers, they're not going to pay you. So you're not going to have a business. You've been in this game a while. Uh, let's bring it on to current day and how you find the market. Are you seeing any opportunities? Like, what's your view? What's your, have you got any kind of goals yourself? What's happening? So uh, the, the, the rental market is, is extremely buoyant. And I know it's been covered um, quite a few times, but what people say in the past is true. Your two, three, four bedroom houses are, are your bread and butter, certainly in the Fife market anyway. You know, that, that is absolutely what people are looking for. And um, when COVID, or when the first lockdown, I think it was the first one, um, opened up in the summer, um, the rental demand had a huge spike. And I know the sales demand did as well, because I finished a refurb and sold it in September. And um, so there's, there is absolutely not enough stock. So uh, to give you some um, figures, in Kirkcaldy, just as an example, at any one time, if you were to go into right move, you'll probably see between 30 and 40 properties available for let in Kirkcaldy. Um, and I thought you'd maybe ask something like this. Uh, so I had a look this morning. There's only eight, eight right? properties available in Kirkcaldy. And uh, there is no three-bedroom houses, no four-bedroom houses. It's one and two-bedroom flats. So what that tells me is there is not enough stock of that, that type of property development. So, and that's significant. So rents um, seem to be holding up quite well there then in uh, Kirkcaldy because there's chat of like city centres of Edinburgh and Glasgow uh, having some, uh, some, you know, less demand and obviously rents being affected there. Well, every, every, we only put rents up when a property becomes vacant unless a tenant's been in a significant period of time. And a significant period of time will be maybe six or seven years. Um, you know, we don't just, I know other people maybe put them up based on CPI or RPI and it goes up, you know, I've heard people say, oh, we put up the rent 2.4%. I'm thinking, what's the point? That just aggravates the tenants. But what we do is obviously we assess the market when the property is vacant. And every property that uh, was vacant from September, the rent has gone up when we've re-advertised it. And it's, the demand's just been phenomenal. One of them was a, a three-bedroom ex-local authority, pre-lockdown, it maybe achieved 6,625, and we've got 695 for it. We had 15 inquiries, eight views, um, and, it, and it went within 24 hours of people completing their application. So there's this huge, huge, unprecedented demand, as far as I can see, in the rental market. So, so on Kirkcaldy specifically then, I mean, there are some decent uh, investment opportunities there just for the buy-to-lets then? Yeah, I think there is. I mean, you pick up these ex-local authorities for around about 120 to 125,000 purchase price. They'll rent them out around about the 700 pound mark um, and they'll rent all day long and you will have long-term tenants because obviously they're looking for a free bed and they want to be close to the local schools and nurseries. So yeah, it, it's still very, very strong. Excellent. Well, it's been great chatting with you, Craig, and uh, it's been really good to get an insight. We've covered quite a lot of different topics there. I think the thing that I really was interested in was everybody's take on, you know, the exit strategy and all that. And you seem to be quite clear and focused there. And it's good to get, 
that input from you. Uh, so is there anything that you're working on at the moment or, uh, you know, are you looking to attract anybody else to work with or, uh, you know, what, have you got any ambitions for the future? Um, the, the main ambition is to continue as a property investor driving down the, the loan to value. Um, but certainly on the, the letting agency side of things, if people are interested in building a portfolio, um, then I'm more than happy to chat with them. Um, I do source properties, as I said, for current landlords. Um, and it's if people that want to be you know, professional landlords, that, that's really what I'm looking towards um, to try and help people go build their portfolio and achieve their goals. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy. And you've obviously got that uh, knowledge on the ground there in, in the Kirkcaldy area. Is that the area that you're focused on? Um, no, Fife in general. Is, okay. Is, 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 we've got properties in Fife. We've actually got some up in Perth and we've got one in Edinburgh. Um, certainly in the Fife areas is where we look We've got them in all the big towns um, in Fife. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for your time, Craig. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the Scottish Property Podcast. Perfect. Thank you, guys. And thanks very much for the opportunity. Cheers, Craig. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.